1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. Pete at the PeteCalendarShow.com. Um, if, oh, I know what I was, I was, yeah, I was sitting here thinking like, what, what, what was I talking about? I just, I, I got distracted. I apologize. It was Travis Fane, W-R-A-L. It was this, this, uh, thread that Travis Fane, uh, put up onto Twitter today. Now up in Raleigh, uh, at the legislative building, there was a rally of some sort that a bunch of evangelical folks got together. There were some speeches, there were people talking and listening and whatever. Okay. And evangelizing, I guess. Okay. So this was very, very concerning to the people who were like, we need to have separation of church and state, everybody. Separation. And they get very, very keyed up. It just trips their trigger. This is one of the issues that they are super on guard for. And look, fine. That's fine. I'm totally fine with people taking an interest in certain, uh, shall we say, threat matrices. Okay, like this is... They're concerned about a theocracy. They're very worried that a bunch of uh, right-wing, Bible-thumping, knuckle-dragon, mouth-breathing MAGA heads are going to take over the country and force everybody to live uh, by the handmaiden's tail, right? They're very worried about this happening. Okay. Good to know. You guys keep an eye out for that. Just kind of curious, like, might there be some other things that might also be concerning we we should probably be on the lookout for too that's not just that like i'm not saying it's an either or I'm not saying you got to pick one or the other i'm just maybe throwing another one into the basket you know so you got the handmaiden's tale be on guard for that how about um Communism. How about I'm I'm just just spitballing here. No bad ideas under the cone of creativity. I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe put communism in there too. Oh come on, Pete. That's just ridiculous. There's not. There's no way we could go communist in this country, right? Well, there are some people who believe that we could, and they're very concerned about that. So maybe their concerns are also like me at the same level. We put them in the same basket. These are concerns people have about what some other people might be interested in creating in America. Is that okay? Can we do that? Is that allowed? The reason I ask this is because Travis spends a bunch of uh, time going over this. So, again, he says that uh, something that Joe Killian from NC Policy Watch, Travis amplifying Joe Killian's article for him, saying something that Killian has picked up on of late is the resurgence of Christian fundamentalism in North Carolina politics. It's an underreported movement, I think. And I would disagree with that, by the way. I think North Carolina reporters spend a lot of time and attention making the connections between evangelicals, churches, and politicians. I do. I think they are always quick to let us know when some politician speaks at a church, especially if that politician is a popular Republican. <laughs> uh, like, for real. Like, Dan Forrest's comments at churches always got coverage. Mark Robinson gets coverage. There are a lot of stories about Madison Cawthorn's getting coverage. Mark Walker got uh, gets coverage. So, you know, please, this idea that there isn't enough coverage of the 
of the church's influence on, in the Republican Party is absurd. Which, by the way, are, you, are we to believe that there is no influence in the Democratic Party by churches? Because I know that to be a lie. Okay? That would, that, if you say that, that would be a lie. Churches have influence inside the Democratic Party, too. They're just different kinds of churches. Right? Seriously. Black churches, right, that get to uh, engage in politics from the pulpit all the time. How about this? Chamber of Commerce, Charlotte Chamber of Commerce folks. How about walking around money? Ring a bell for elections, you know? Stuff like that. So, um, yeah, churches do get involved in, oh, how about this one? Any Unitarian church. <laughs> I kid. I'm just kidding on that. Not really, though. The, uh, like, but you have, um, up in Buncombe County, spent eight years up there. They got a candidate who's now running against Madison Cawthorn. She's a Democrat. Her name is Jasmine Beach Ferrara, and she's a graduate of the Duke Divinity School. She's a pastor. She's a lesbian as well. She was the former head of the campaign for Southern Equality to get gay marriage passed. She's an activist. She's a county commissioner right now. So I'm running for Congress. Funny, though, we don't get a lot of the concern about the rise of religiosity inside the Democratic Party on that. Isn't that weird? So what, she's allowed to have her faith inform her politics, and she's allowed to run campaign ads, you know, with her pictured in the collar and all of that. Like, that's okay. You're not worried about separation of church and state there. See, as long as the church supports the secular views of the left, it's fine. That's one of the reasons why, by the way, the Democrats and the left— Love Reverend Barber. Love him. Because he gets to, he wraps their secularist views in religiosity, right? He gets to, he gets to uh, stand in front as a shield from the accusations from the right and from the Christian churches, from the more conservative uh, uh, houses of worship that that say, whoa, 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 that's not the proper role of the church, or that's not an ethical thing, that's not a moral thing, and it allows them to kind of scramble back up and try to claim some moral high ground that they have lost. Because what they, I mean, because if you think about the philosophy that they're espousing, it is um, it is to uh, subsume your rights to the state and to turn it all over to this entity of man. And that rubs a lot of uh, faith-based people wrong, right? It, 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 it rubs them wrong. It, they don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. You know, Jesus called people to directly participate in helping others, not to vote for some people, to take some other people's money to then help another group of people. That wasn't the point. That wasn't the message. Like you get, so what you just say, oh, well, you know, I pay my taxes, so I do my part. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of not the jam. So, back to Travis's uh, thread here. He says, look at this quote from Congressman Madison Cawthorn's recent video invoking the Old Testament and calling on Christians to fight for their country. Not that I expect him or most people to quote the Bible in context. He says, but this is four verses later. And then he's got a screenshot here. I don't think there's, is there audio? Is this a clip or is this just, oh, now it's, oh, there we go. Uh, He says, if my people, which are called by name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal uh, heal their land. 
So Travis is engaging in uh, in scriptural theological debate with Madison Cawthorn on Twitter. This is the role of a reporter at WRAL. He says, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with, uh, with David, your father, when I said you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. And he says, that is God promising a theocracy. So Travis is going, Travis is also a theologian, apparently. He's going to let everybody know <laughs> what the Bible says. <laughs> oh, goodness. It goes on from here. It, it, that's the last Bible verse he quotes, so I won't quote you anymore. But now he's going to go after the lieutenant governor uh, as well. And I've got the got that line of attack up next. First, let's head over to Boomer Von Cannon. He's going to tell you how to attack traffic. Now, I'm not saying get in violent or anything, just, you know, a strategy. He did say royal throne, didn't he? He, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, your royal throne. Like sitting in traffic. Travis Fain is a State House reporter, WRAL, put out a tweet thread today, which is just a series of tweets, because there was a rally that was held up at the legislative uh, buildings in Raleigh. Evangelicals gathered, and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson made comments, and Travis Fain is very, very concerned that we're all going to be handmaidens tale pretty soon. Now the Lieutenant Governor, he says, has repeatedly said that America is not a theocracy and he doesn't want one. That is true, by the way. That is true. America is not a theocracy. I don't want to live in a theocracy. And the Lieutenant Governor has said he doesn't want to live in a, the- in a theocracy. But what the, what the reporter class apparently has a difficult time understanding is that for people who, uh, uh, whose faith informs virtually all aspects of their lives and their being, right? For people who are that devoted to their faith, um, they can they can separate the two. They can say, I am uh, a Christian, I live by these Christian ideals and principles, but I do not want to institute a theocracy in the state and in America, because that's not the point. See, the separation of church and state doesn't just mean that everybody who's, you know, working for GovCo has to be an atheist. Christians get to participate in it, too, right? They, they get to work for government. They get to influence policy. They get to do all of these things. And in fact, I, you may want to sit down for this. They actually have done so for the vast majority of the nation's history. Yeah, the ideas, the principles found in uh, in Christianity are reflected in the society and in our law and that sort of stuff. It's true. I'm not kidding. And that, that doesn't even make it a theocracy. I mean, you could make the argument that there were some theocratic ideas that did kind of make their way in, like blue laws, for example, right? Like you can't be open on Sundays. And you can, look, I get it. There are people that want to go back to that. They are not a majority, it's not a critical mass of people, but there are people that are like, yeah, we never should have opened up the businesses on Sundays. Or, uh, yeah, you know, we should you know, never sell alcohol. We need to go back to just banning alcohol. Look, North Carolina was the, what, first one to ratify prohibition and the last one to repeal it. So uh, this, is, this state is squarely in that camp of trying to do things kind of along a theocratic vein. No doubt about it. Do have a history. 
By the way, most of those folks, Democrats, just as a heads up, I don't know if it matters, just as a heads up, though, run state was run by Democrats for, you know, hundred something years. Um, he says, though, this is not normally the sort of thing you need to deny. So he says, Lieutenant Governor's repeatedly said America's not a theocracy and he doesn't want one. That is not normally the sort of thing you need to deny. That's a snarky, smarmy, sarcastic, loaded statement that Travis Fain just registered there. Why does Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson say that? Because he knows you, Travis. He knows you. He knows the reporters. He knows what the, uh, the North Carolina political press corps is all about. I do. So if you're going to go around and you're going to stump in the pulpit in churches on Sundays, because this is something that Mark Robinson likes to do. And as I understand it, this is stuff he did before he was lieutenant governor. Oh, how dare you, though? Isn't it amazing? Like, he says, I'm laying out all of these principles. I'm laying out these sentiments. And I know what you're going to say, you left-wing reporter guy. And so I'm going to go ahead and address your criticism right out of the gate. And that's what Robinson does this all the time. He'll say, I know you're going to say this, so let me go ahead and address it right now. And he'll start out and he'll head it off at the pass. So now that is evidence because he knows what you're going to say. So he pre-responds to it. That's now evidence that somehow or another, what, he's not confident in the message or he's trying to pull a fast one or something? No, he just knows what you're going to say. And he says, um, he's got a quote here then. I can guarantee you some of this is a quote of Robinson's. I can guarantee you some of them up there in Washington and some of them in Raleigh, some of them on uh, your city council, if they had their way right now, they'd march in here and throw us all in chains, throw us out of here and burn this building to the ground. This is what he said at a church. Is that any better or worse, by the way, than uh, Joe Biden telling black voters that Mitt Romney was going to put y'all back in chains? Better or worse? Same? What do you think? Your rules, Travis. Your rules. You guys didn't care that Joe Biden said those things. You normalized it. That's acceptable rhetoric. So guess what? It's acceptable rhetoric now, too. Sorry. Fain then goes on to say, now, does Mark Robinson believe that? Was it hyperbole from the pulpit? I don't know. But consider what one would do if they did believe that. That politicians want to burn your church to the ground. Consider what one might inspire others to do. Gee, I don't know, Travis. What do you think people might do if they're constantly being told by, like, everybody in all of the institutions that they're being oppressed, that cops are trying to kill them at every turn and that they they will never be able to have a decent uh, standard of living or a decent career because of those people over there or that these people of a political persuasion are trying to uh, take all of your health care they're trying to push old people off of cliffs what do you think people might do if they hear that message and it's not just from one guy in a pulpit It's in movies, it's in TV, it's in songs, it's in politics, it's in media. It is everywhere. (laughs) 
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It is Friday. It's 135. That means we talk to Becky Gray. She is the Senior Vice President at the John Locke Foundation. You can read all about them and their work at carolinajournal.com. Becky, how are you? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy Halloween weekend. Yeah, you got uh, you got big plans for Spooky Halloween? Stuff. Spooky stuff. Well, I'm actually <laughs> headed up to the to the Asheville area, your old stomping ground. Yeah. Um, yeah, because in conjunction with Halloween, of course, is the beautiful Leeds in western North Carolina. That's true. I forgot. I was talking with somebody about the leaf changing season, and I forgot whether you want rain or you don't want rain. One of them, one way gives you the stress. I think it's not rain, so because it stresses the leaves or something. But you want like a little bit, but then not too much or something at a certain time. And But I, I, it seems like it's a pretty good season, so you're in for a treat, I think. Not that, you know, it's always a treat. North Carolina is a beautiful state, and it's always a treat to get out and about. Yeah. So always a treat to get out of Raleigh. Well, well I was going to say, yeah, and they had so they had a big deal up there. Um, big news I saw today. Um, WRAL was all over this story. Apparently, the Speaker of the House spotted in a grocery store not wearing a mask. Did you Did you hear about this this story? Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> yeah, I kind of hesitate to even say story. I mean, how many of us have ducked into? Um, you know, the drugstore to pick up something or the grocery store to make a quick run. And, yeah, it must, must be a really slow news day is all I've got to say. We're waiting for the budget. We're waiting for redistricting. I guess WRAL had to have something to report on. So, you know, I, I guess this is it. You got to make slot. You have to make slot. You got to fill the news hole. So, uh, and that is true. Like, I have actually gone to a store and I'm trying, it was actually pretty recently. It was like a week or so ago. And I was like, Oh, I, I don't have a mask. I left it in my other coat and I didn't even, I had no mask on me. Like, what am I supposed to do? So, um, so I just like, you know, held my breath and put my arm over and I ran in No, I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah, so that was WRAL. They were all over that story. Yeah. Uh, well, so, in related news, of course, yeah. the town of Cary, which is a suburb of Raleigh, has just announced they're going to lift their mask mandate as of today. Now, still required on public transportation, but, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of people are going to be going to carry to eat dinner and to shop and go to the drugstore and that kind of thing over the next couple of days. And I hope some of the other communities around North Carolina will begin to lift this mask mandate as the numbers continue to go down and people are just feeling a lot safer to be out and about. Right, yeah, the the case numbers are going, they're dropping precipitously, which is, I mean, this was expected. It's a season, the seasonality of it. This virus is behaving like viruses. I thought uh, the Associated Press reporter, Brian Anderson, had a very good question uh, at the governor's press conference on COVID the other day, the briefing, uh, asking, look, you know, is this even an emergency any longer? You You haven't had a briefing in a month. So, like, how could you say this is still a statewide emergency if you're not even giving updates after 30 uh, in 30 days right yeah how much of an emergency and then of course that reform to the emergency management act is sitting on the governor's desk don't know when he's going to veto could be this afternoon yeah you know for all we know but you know that's another thing of how long should a governor no matter who it is how long should the governor of north carolina have the authority to act unilaterally in an emergency this has gone on for months and months and months now this would be an effort to roll back that, have a little bit more accountability. Uh, we do expect Governor Cooper to veto that bill, but the question's still going to remain, Pete. You know, like you said, how long does an emergency last 
And in North Carolina, the question is, how long does one person have the authority to make that decision? And whether the governor vetoes this bill or not, which, by the way, we do expect him to do that, um, this question is going to remain out there. Right. And and, uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson apparently today saying he's 95 percent sure he's going to run for governor in another uh, two years, two and a half years or so, which I don't think really surprises uh, many people. Uh, But he has said that he would sign this fix into law if presented with him. And and, um, as I understand it, the lawmakers intend to run the bill as many times as it takes to get this thing fixed, because I've not heard a, a good explanation or a good defense of the way the governor has uh, has utilized the Emergency Management Act. Um, and the fix that has been proposed, to me, seems quite logical and rational. It doesn't seem partisan. It seems like a it seems like a good idea to say, OK, you get to do these emergency declarations unless you're going to make it a statewide deal in which case then you're going to need some more buy-in. That seems rational. Yeah, and doesn't it just make sense that if you're faced with, I mean, just kind of flashback to March of 2020 when we were faced with a really uncertain future, would it have been helpful to have the direct input, advice, and counsel of the Commissioner of Agriculture, the Superintendent of Public Instruction, the Secretary of Labor, the State Treasurer, the Attorney General, you know, to have the other statewide elected officials be able to weigh in and have some decision making. You know, as you're sitting around that table after the first, I don't know, you know, week or two, I mean, when you've got an emergency, you do need some, you know, emergency that hits overnight. You need somebody that can make those quick decisions. Mm-hmm. But after a week or a couple weeks, you know, just seems to me you would want the advice and counsel of those other areas of, and again, these are statewide elected officials, just like the the governor is. And then it also seems to me that after a certain amount of time, you would want the input of the legislature and all of those people who have been duly elected to represent areas across North Carolina. You would think that that would be a good idea, too, to have their input. The uh, initial emergency declaration that was uh, the governor went around the Council of State to issue um, it, the, the, the pushback he got, because there's only one element that he initially got pushback on, and that was the closing of all of the businesses and, and the restaurants right. and such. Right. And the Republicans on the Council of State, they were not on board with just that one component. And when you look back on it, this is the thing that kills me. When we look back and we do an assessment on whether that policy worked or not it did not right it it that did not work locking down the government or the uh the the private sector the entire economy the costs associated with that have been uh shown to outweigh the benefit and so he was wrong to make that call like he did and maybe he wouldn't have and maybe we would have been spared of the costs of those lockdowns um and it's one of the things I think that undermines a lot of credibility and trust is when you've got people that made these decisions, and I understand they, they had no information, they were just flying blind, but to, to not come out and say, oh, okay, that wasn't the right call, I will forgive them for that. They were doing the best they could. I will give them the benefit of the doubt. But when you don't ever acknowledge that you messed it up, then I, 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 I'm not going to believe you uh, going forward. 
Yeah, I think there has been a lot of trust. And, and you know, we see that today with the mask mandates, the vaccine yeah. incentives and all that have been offered. We're seeing parents going to the school board meetings and, you know, making their voices be heard, which is certainly something that people should be encouraged to do. Um, but, yeah, the, the mistrust, I think, is a big, big factor yeah. in that. I think you're exactly right. And then the other thing with it is, is businesses were closed down. Don't forget there were some businesses that were allowed to open. There were some that were not. Yep. And the collateral damage from that, I don't think we've seen still the, the full extent of the collateral damage on investments and the chilling effect, perhaps, that we're seeing with entrepreneurs. Um, you know, if you've been through that or you're sitting back watching and seeing how quickly a business can be destroyed at the blink of an eye, at the sign of the signing of an executive order, I think we're going to see long-term chilling effects on people that are willing to take the risk to start businesses, to make expansions for those businesses and that kind of thing. So yeah. I think the residual damage of this um, and those decisions are going to go on for quite some time. Senior Vice President at the John Locke Foundation, Becky Gray, read uh, her work and her colleagues' work and uh, all of the good stuff at carolinajournal.com. I go there every day. It's part of my show prep. Go check it out, carolinajournal.com. Thank you, Becky. Appreciate it. Safe travels. Have a great weekend up in the mountains. Oh, and we lost her. Okay, well, that was... (laughs) All right. A reminder, everybody, we have teamed up with Charlotte Mechanical to help our neighbors in need score a coat, a new coat, or a like-new coat. Through the 704 Coat Drive, head to a store, buy a new coat, or get a coat that you got that's, like, new, and you can donate that one. Or maybe your kids outgrew their coats from last year, and you take those coats and throw them in the bins, too. You don't know where the bins are? Aha! I have an answer for that, too. 704coatdrive.com. Dot com, 704coatdrive.com. There you go. And you can also make a monetary donation there. If you don't want to go and buy the coat, you just make a donation. It benefits the Salvation Army of Greater Charlotte, great organization. Um, and also, as I mentioned, you can find the, the donation barrels on the website there. Um, do, 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 do. Oh, yeah. Get this. Um, vehicle up in Canada, eh? And the uh, the Trail and Greater District RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, right? That's the name of the district, the Trail and Greater District RCMP. I don't know. They have very long names for their law enforcement. They uh, stopped a car. He's at an intersection. It's a suspicious vehicle. And uh, it had uh, a message in duct tape saying, help me spelled out on the vehicle and they could see blood. So they walk over to the guy, turns out to be a 36 year old man from Fruitvale, real place. Oh, Canada. And, um, they're like, yo, what's going on here? Are you kidnapping people or what? And, uh, no, no, just a Halloween decoration. He said just Halloween decorations. So they said, yeah, take it off the car. (laughs) So he agreed because he's Canadian, right? Think about how that would go down in America. I mean, right? Just think people would be dead if they're not, like, refusing. You can't tell me to do that. Right. So he agreed to remove the duct tape. I guess the blood can stay, but the duct tape, help me sign, that's uh, that's been taken down. Uh, also, get this. 
a house listed for sale in Los Angeles. Spalding Square is the name of the street it is on. Uh, I have no idea whether the street is a square or not, but uh, it's a three-bedroom. It's listed by Realty Agency Douglas Elliman. And you may recognize the exterior of this place. It is the, it's now listed for $3.5 million. And the reason I gave you the name of the street it's on is because it's not on Elm Street, even though the movie was. 1984's Nightmare on Elm Street. That house is up for sale. Two-story house. Right, from West Craven Slasher Classic. And uh, it's the location of the final showdown with Freddy Krueger. That's the house, okay? And the house was purchased for $2.1 million back in 2013 by director of the movie Hustlers, Laureen Scafaria. Scafaria? Scafaria? Something or other. Um, she's now listing it for $3.5 million. If you are interested, you got to get your bid in by Halloween. There you go. Three and a half million dollars. That's like that's like a starter home in LA, I think. Right? Um, what else we oh I mentioned this yes. Oh, hang on a second. Hang on, hang on, before I get to Richard Burr. Um, I got an email from Dean. He says he missed part of yesterday's show. And so you are dead to me, Dean. Dead to me. No, he says, Did you address the one hundred fifty four million being spent to update? the Charlotte state-of-the-art horse and buggy facility, i.e. a library. How can you let this slide? Why, why, why? Thanks, Dean. Or, thanks, Dean. Yeah, it's a little bit different. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've already lost the fight over why are we still building libraries. I had that fight 15 years ago in Mecklenburg County, and... People keep voting for more libraries. I don't know why. I don't. I don't know why. But, man, I was thinking about this. Heard on the news where they were talking about, you know, uh, packing the whole building up, shutting it all down. This is the the uh, Uptown Charlotte one, right? It's been there for like 100-something years, whatever. Like, I have moved a lot in the last uh, year. Let me see. One, two, three, for at least four times in the last year, okay? But I would not want to have to move a library. Think about it. Every box is full of books. That's the worst. Those are the worst boxes. Oh, my gosh. I haven't, we haven't even opened our book boxes. We got a bunch of them, and they're just, because we're, we're moving again. We got another move still to do. Oh, yeah, for real. So we moved... So we we moved. Um, well, if I can go back, if I go back uh, two years, then Christie's move from Charlotte to Asheville, then the move and my move from one apartment to the the larger apartment when when Christie uh, uh, left her job here and went up there, and then uh, uh, COVID hit, and uh, so we were in that apartment. We're like, we need a house, and so we bought a house. So we moved into the house. And then I got the job offer two days after the closing on that house. So then I moved down to an apartment in Charlotte. It was a tiny studio apartment, and it was terrible. And then Christy moved down, and so we needed and got a job very quickly. So we then 
uh, had to get another apartment, so we moved from that apartment, studio apartment, into another apartment. And we have one more move because there's another house that we're having built. Which, by the way, it's going to be west of the airport. So all conservatives need to move to west of the airport. We're going to take back that whole side of the county. Who's with me? Okay. That's fine. That's fine. We're going to be alone. That's fine. It's okay. But if you're thinking about moving, that would be the place to go. Go over there. I'm going to take back District 2. News is next.